I'm here with Jared Goldstein, the star of Quibi. Are you going to be like the next (laughs) Quibi, like superstar? I hope so. I mean, there's so many things that I want to get into and I want to get into your Quibi show later. But first Mm -hmm. and foremost, we said it earlier. I just want to thank you. Um, Jared, you've been such an angel. You came on my show before. Um, Due to technical quarantine difficulties, the entire episode was just like this. (laughs) (laughs) Delayed and it was all my fault. And I was so mortified. And then I was like, okay, well, He's an actor. He understands self-tapes. Like, maybe we Mm. could try this again. So, first of all, thank you so much for coming back on because you gave me some real juicy, like, scoop gossip. And (laughs) why I'm kind of, like, really excited why it didn't work out and it was a blessing in disguise is because now we can talk about that your show with Nicole Richie got picked up for a second season. It did. It really, really did. That is crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like, unbelievable. Can I'm, you remind I'm me so what excited. it's called? I don't want to butcher the name I keep. It's called Nikki Fresh. Nikki Fresh. That's right. Yeah. Nikki Fresh. With Nicole Oh, my Ritchie. gosh. And it got picked up for a second season already. It's really incredible. It's so exciting. So exciting. I had such a great time working with Nicole and everyone. It was such a dream of a job yeah. that if we get to do it again, what a, what a joy and a privilege. And what's the story? Like, do you think you'll go back and shoot anytime soon? I know nothing. Truly nothing. Just that I think the world knows the nothing. Light. Yeah, it's really, everything is so touch and go. And then even things that do pick up sometimes shut back down. So, so we'll really right. just see. I mean, I hope that we can start writing in a Zoom and, and then just sort of see from there. Now, with that show, I think we talked about it before, but refresh my memory, and obviously, this is a new episode for everyone, so they don't know the, like, behind the scenes of Nikki Fresh, but when you went in there, you auditioned super last minute, right? Wasn't it just, like, a come-in sort of audition? It wasn't even an audition. It was two weeks before they started. Uh, They asked me to come in to meet with them, and they... I didn't know what to expect. I assumed that I would be in an office. I knew that Nicole was gonna be there and I assumed I would meet Nicole in a couple suits and the suits would be watching me interact with Nicole <laughs> because I had, no, right. I had no sides, I had no material. I knew truly nothing. It was basically like a general meeting, just walking in. Right, you um, thought you were just like, hey, I'm Jared, nice to meet you, like. Yeah, and 20 minutes into just talking, which was so casual and so like just comfy and they were so inviting and down to earth. 20 minutes in, they were like, okay, so your fitting will be in two weeks and wow. we're gonna start here. And I was like- And what the world needs to know is that never happens. <laughs> no. Okay, no. never. You can go in for an audition and you won't hear back even if you get a call back sometimes for like, weeks at a time. Like, yeah. I don't think, you know what, to be fair, I think the only time I ever heard 
if I got the job like kind of on the spot was when mm-hmm. I was a kid and we were like, it was like for a guest spot role or something on Disney and they had to immediately shoot right away. Or if they have to match you up with like parents or like a sibling, like they used to do that a lot where they'd say, I remember I was probably like 11 years old. I have no idea what the show was, but it was the Sunset Gower Studios, which is ah. a really fun um, product. I mean, a really fun uh, studio in Los Angeles because it feels very old school. Like it feels mm. very like 1930s, like 40s. Like you can just feel the energy there. I don't even know if it was around that long or if they like designed it to look like that. But like, regardless, it's adorable. But I remember being at the bottom of the steps and I went in for some audition and it was myself, Ashley Tisdale, wasn't Hillary Duff, but it was someone else like that. And we were all waiting and we were like, oh, and I was, and I remember like Ashley had really, really, really curly hair at the time. And I had really straight and the other person like had like brown hair and it was like, are they, what's the look that they're going for? Like, did I wear the right <laughs> outfit? And I laugh all the time with my friend, Ali Mashaka, who was a Disney star as well. And she said, she remembered, we used to go to these Disney auditions all the time and they would ask you to bring multiple outfits. They would ask you to bring straighteners or curling irons because they wanted you to like go in the room. And if they didn't like what you look like, they would have you go and change it. So like one time Allie went in with really curly hair and they were like, uh, we really like, don't want her to look like that. Can you straighten it and put on a skirt instead? And let's see what that looks like. That happened all the time. It happened as if they couldn't just use their imagination. No, no, no. As artists in a creative industry. (laughs) No, no, they couldn't do that, especially when we were kids. And I remember it was the craziest thing because I, I already said this on the episode, so it's like really boring, but it's kind of funny still. Is I did an Andy Lawrence movie with you know one of the Lawrence brothers, the the baby Uh Andy, Um, and it was a Disney Channel movie. And it was a really deep, uh, real one. Like it, it won like children awards because it was a, a true story about a blind wrestler. Um, and anyways, I went into the audition and I looked like not grungy, but I looked like a real girl, which was so anti-Disney <laughs> at the time. Um, and that's what they loved about it because it was, she was supposed to be like very granola. It wasn't your typical Disney. But I remember that was the first time that they ever didn't ask me to change clothes or put a different color on. Or wow. like it was, I'm telling you, it was like a thing when you were a kid. And Wait, so I did not know that you now, were a child actor. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know, you, I was too. I know, I know this. And you were like know. Broadway New York boy. Yeah, I was in New York. I was in New York doing that, singing and driving in from Long Island. And you were here in LA doing it here. That is incredible. I was originally in the Bay Area um, up north um, near Stanford University. And we would, I hosted a kids club. in for Warner Brothers that we would shoot four hours a week and it would air Saturday and Sunday in between the cartoons of like Animaniacs and like every like Warner Brothers thing. And we shot it in San Francisco. On the and kids WB. On the kids WB. <laughs> I was on a kids prank show that they would, that for one no! month they aired on the kids WB, like as interstitials what? between the shows. And that it was like crazy. The kids WB 
was Pokemon. It was yep. everything I wanted when I was a kid. And then to have this prank show that was, that we shot for France, to have it like accidentally end up on American television, let alone on my favorite network, the Kids WB, was like mind blowing. Was like and a there mind you were blow. too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so we, I did that for about two years. And that's why I am obsessed with podcasting and interviewing in general, because that's how I started out before I even did acting. Um, mm. And then I did, do you remember, oh my God, why am I blanking? Kablam? Yeah. You remember the show Kablam? So yeah, that it was, was on, the first- on, on at night, right? Yeah, well, it was Nickelodeon. Toys. It was like, yes, with the toys and the puppets. And that was the first real job I did while I was hosting. I did like two episodes on Kablam. Were you a voice on Kablam? No, I was a little, I'll send it to you. It's on YouTube, like from in like Spain or something. And it's me with two puppets. And I'm like barbecuing and the barbecue is the spaceship. <laughs> and that was your first job? That was my first job. I was like eight or nine. And then oh I was God. like obsessed with being in front of the camera. So one pilot season while I was doing this, this hosting thing, um, myself and a, another of one of the girls, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. I think it was Kalia. She and her mom and my mom and myself, we went to the Oakwood Apartments and stayed for a pilot season. And I was like, this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. And like, I mean, the Oakwoods are like, famous, infamous. Yes. And it was, and that is where I met like Haley Duff and Hillary and Frankie Muniz and like this whole like, like gaggle of kids before <laughs> like any of us did anything. You know, it was, it was not thing we were all just like kids that came in for pilot season um and then we officially moved here when i was like nine ten ish um you know yeah. i started when i was 11 and i remember thinking at the time that i was so late to the game because everyone started when they were eight it seemed like that was the magic number every kid starts number. when you're eight so like i started when i was 11 so from the jump i was too old to play gavroche in Les Mis. So I was like, I got to catch the fuck up. I have some work to do. I want, I want to do this. I want to do it fast. I am old and I'm only getting older. From Isn't 11. that funny though? No, but I'll tell you this. I literally have that same mentality still to this day, which is like a terrible quality. I feel like to feel you're too old. It's, it's like a fear quality, right? Like fear takes over your mind. So you make up all these excuses as to why you aren't where you thought you were going to be in your life. Mm -hmm. But I had such a panic for me. I had what I like to think my first nervous breakdown. And it sounds silly to say that as a kid, but I truly was so affected by it that I think about it a lot. When I, I turned 10, that to me was like, I should probably give up on my life because I was turning a double digit. And like, for me, <laughs> I was like, well, there's no point anymore. Like, I was like, what's the point? I'm not doing what I want to be doing. Like, I thought I should be on a television show and I was hosting a television show. So it made absolutely no sense. Like why? But this was my thought process. But you yeah. know, you and I, I think are very similar in the sense where we're overachievers and we knew what we wanted to do at such a young age. And we were older 
than our years. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because we really didn't understand why we hadn't started yet. Like, why is why are things not happening? We're here. We're here to make it great. <laughs> totally. So yeah, getting back to until... your Quibi show, like that's mm. the craziest thing to me craziest because thing. it never happens. That, that just doesn't happen. And, you know, I hear a lot of the times like when, when uh, people audition, who was it that I heard? Uh, I heard someone talk about their audition for Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they said, when you go into Curb, you meet Larry David or you meet the, the casting director first, but it's kind of like a very fast moving thing. Oh no, it was Vivica A. Fox. And she oh. had never seen Curb Your Enthusiasm before. And she told this story. Um, and one of her like manager friends or something told her when she goes in, it's entirely improv. And like, there's no sides. They give you a situation and you like kind of just like go at it. And her manager friend told her not to ever call him Larry, to call him LD, because it would be funnier, like it would read funnier. Um, and she did it. And they were like, that's why you got it, because you're calling me LD. Like, who's calling me LD? My name is Larry. It's Larry David. And she's like, LD, LD. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun but it's it's so true with 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 improv and not what your audition was was improv but it was in a sense because it's your personality and that's what the show was about and they were trying to create a character that didn't exist and you were the character that walked in but yeah. you have to find these like these like quirks that are your own personality, these little like nuances that make it original and unique in what it was. And like, you are a very unique, magical creature. So like, I get it. <laughs> Me? <laughs> oh, thanks for saying that. Yeah. It's, um, like we, I didn't even know truly like until we started shooting, like I didn't fully know what they wanted from me. I knew that I was, like her her sidekick and that was pretty much it and then once we started we we like we were kind of not getting it right away and we had this this um a water sommelier on set who was uh, a really big personality which is the best thing ever <laughs> a water sommelier yeah i mean it takes a big personality to become a water sommelier and big personality they would call action and he would just talk and talk and talk and share all this information about water. And Nicole and I were just listening. <laughs> we're just a couple of bottoms, you know, we're just like, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh, uh -huh. uh-huh. And then they yeah. had to pull us aside and they were like, we, we need you, <laughs> we need you to get in there. We need you to start talking. And we're like, oh, okay. And like, once we found what, what, what we, what they were wanting, it was, it, it felt, it felt easy to me and it felt exciting because, in the way that it just like fell into my lap, the things that they were wanting from me were very much things that I feel comfortable delivering. And it was They're so in fun. your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, can and you I put think these a lot of people, on? oh yeah. Oh, and you were like, I'm great yeah. in heels. That's very like, funny because I'm actually Ariana Grande, but people don't realize <laughs> that I'm actually. Yes. You've never seen us in the same place at the same time. Never seen us in the same place at the same time. And I will say this much. I am going to find the picture of you as Ariana Grande for Halloween. Yeah. Oh, because, I have it. I can send it to you immediately. Oh, my God. When you walked into Diana and Jenna's Halloween party as Ari, I was just like, I need to leave right now because no <laughs> one will ever 
ever top this look that you're giving. You had that white mini skirt, the white little like tube, like like tank top. You were showing a little belly, but not too risque not because too you know Ari was still yeah. young. She was still yes. young, you know. <laughs> yes, and you, you, I feel like we had like really. Um, coordinating complimenting costumes because yes because you, i was lilu from the fifth element yes lilu and ari and we were all in white and we had our Bandaged wigs on up. tight tight we had that shit so tight we had such headaches the entire night <laughs> and and here we are god now. we shined and here we are now now tell me you never met nicole before did you no. know that she was so funny Yes. Yeah. Oh, see, she was I didn't so know great. that. She was so great on The Simple Life. And I had seen a few episodes of. Oh, great I guess News. you're right. Yeah. And yeah, I've always thought that she was just so. She like really always seemed to know where she was and what people were expecting from her so she could subvert it. And right. so I've always known that she's smart and funny. Uh, but to but to meet her and then just to see like just how authentic she is and down to earth was immediately just like a oh okay well that's a relief and then to start working together and she was just such an above and beyond angel oh my god wow like, so considerate so patient so generous like truly i was i was the terror on set i was the the diva like she was just so, 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 such a leader. Like one day on set, um, someone knocked over a, we were like in a crystal shop and somebody knocked over this like display and all these like crystals that came crashing to the ground and it was like so loud. And right away she went, nobody did anything. No. <laughs> so that no one would get in trouble for it. No, that's so sweet. Like she leaped into action before, like while we're all, every last person is just going like, no. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She went, no one did anything. No one touched it. And it was just like, damn, like she is such a good fucking person. <laughs> no, that's amazing. But you know, it really shows because I see a lot of shows um, where you know, the, the star of the show can be a fantastic actor. Great. But you can tell who is a positive leader of a show um, based on how the other people are acting and how they interact with each other. Do you know what I mean? Totally. You're, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I and maybe no one else can understand it or they can see it, but I see it because I've been in both situations where I did a TV show and we had the most incredible like lead actor who just took care of everyone and handled everything and just like brought everyone up. And then I've had people who egos have been so big that they can't handle even sharing the screen with someone. So they just put everyone in a shitty mood and like they want nothing to do with the show. And it's very clear and it sets the mood where everyone is miserable to be there and it shows like on television, like you can see it. Um, so I think that that is also probably not only because it's a fun show, Nikki Fresh, but I think that having a female lead like that who is in charge and knows what she wants and is a kind human being, it makes someone like you who is supposed to be her like 
for all intents and purposes, like hype man, right, on the show yeah. is – you, you know, you feel more relaxed and then you're going to give a better performance and you're going to make her shine, you know? And I think that that's what's so important. People always in this business, and I don't even think just in this business because I see it with Sturgis and he's in technology, you know, egos are so fucking big in this world and you need to put egos aside because you want to make everyone around you comfortable that works with you because it only elevates you and your success and your money and your like popularity. So it just like, it blows my mind when I, when I see these things and I hear these stories through, um, egotistical leaders. Um, so it's really refreshing and it makes sense why Nikki Fresh is as amazing as it is. Yeah, but thank you. And I think, I think that is in part because Nicole has been working and has been famous for 20 years. She was yeah. a teenager on A Simple Life, The Simple Life. And, and she, you, like, you just can tell that she's had experiences and that she has learned from them and that she is back for more. And it's, it's really, it's, it's right. very, it's very, very inspiring because like coming from standup where you work alone, you are sort of encouraged to be difficult uh -huh. in certain ways. Um, what do to you be mean on a be set. difficult? Like if you have any like neuroses or if you want to make fun of the audience or if you want to make fun of the venue or if you want to be like rude, like it, there's a, there's like a performative difficult performative rudeness that is celebrated in a mm. comedian there's something exciting about that you see a like comedian being self-deprecating kind of to be, to be self-deprecating but also to go outwards like if you're at a show and the comedian starts making fun of the venue and making fun of like the shitty chairs the in person the room, in the front row the right person in the front row calling out a host or the comedian before them it's kind of fun and exciting because you're like oh my god Woo, you scandalous never, yeah, like you never see that anywhere. Um, so as a comedian, you know, and you're, all, you're also encouraged at times to say a bad thing or say the wrong thing and people get excited. But then when you're on a set, uh, it's very different. Like the, you want to be really, 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 really cooperative, really, mm -hmm. really kind, really like teamwork oriented. You really want to like fall in line in a way that is not the case for stand-up. So being on that show like really showed me that in a way that was like, oh, like, I need to make sure, not that I was being rude to anyone, but just the, the mentality, there's a mentality switch of like, if I'm at work as a comedian or if I'm at work as an actor, there's like a very different um, energy and like approach. Now, I know that you can't compare the two, but is there, since you started off as being an actor, do you, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure the whole story and I, I'd like to get into it, but, you know, I don't know how organic the stand-up world was for you, but is there one that you prefer one to the other? Stand-up is really fun because you get to say exactly what you want to say and there are people, there are no real filter. people really looking back at you. And that's like such a fun thing. And when people come up to you after a set and they engage with you, it's like, it's beautiful. It's like, cause you, yeah. you forget, like you just shared like a, the truth about who you are and you know, we're right. being silly, we're making jokes, but I'm telling you my story. And now in that way, you do know me. And uh, yeah, it's just great. It's like, it's like electric. And it reminds me of, you know, when I started performing as a kid, I was doing theaters. I wasn't really mm -hmm. doing television and movies like here and there, but it really, it was really about theater for me. So to do stand up 
and to be performing live again on a stage with a microphone and lights and a crowd, it feels right. I really like it. Well, there's nothing like it, right? It's like a rush. That's why I like sitcoms because I think multicams are the most fun. And even though, you know, some of them are really cheesy and you're just kind of like, okay, dad jokes, you know, it's still <laughs> like the rush of being in front of an audience and making sure that your joke is funny because if they don't laugh, like it's going to be rewritten and it's going to be really hard for you to remember. But there is something that rushes like a drug, you know? It's gotta be tough to have all those people looking at you as they're just changing your lines on the fly. Yeah, but but that, but it's the same thing for stand-up, right? Like you have to read the room. You could go in yeah. that room and you can have an amazing set and know what you're gonna say. And you walk in there and you say one joke and it's like it like dead silence, right? You can hear crickets and you're like, hmm, okay. Well, I guess the, you know, the gay comedy isn't going to land at this venue. You know, <laughs> I've had a lot of stand-up comedian friends and, and people that have been on this show. One of my really good friends, Sarah Halstead, she's a stand-up comedian. And she said that she went somewhere. Oh my God, where was it? It was somewhere really random at a casino in like deep California or Midwest or something. And she opened the joke Oh God, maybe that's not what it was. Anyways, it was some joke about Botox and 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 being, you know, old or something. And it was dead silence because the room was a bunch of like 70 to 80 year old people who didn't think that was funny. And she's like, so my whole set was screwed, you know? And it's like, you like to be on the spot adjusting, I have someone else write my shit for me. Like <laughs> it is not, it is not me at all. I'm sure I could land the joke funnier if I wrote it, but that's another story that's neither here nor there. Um, but, but I understand it's that rush. And did you get into stand-up when you were younger? Because I know when we first met a couple of years ago, I didn't remember you did stand-up. No. Yeah. When we met, I, I was not doing it. I wasn't thinking about it in any way. I no. I, I started doing stand-up like five years ago and I started thinking about doing it like maybe five and a half years ago. Like right. truly it was not even in my mind. I just, I really liked listening to comedians on podcasts, just like talk. Yeah. Like I wasn't, I wasn't really listening to comedy or watching comedy. I, I'd see it like, I'd see it here and there. Like when I was a kid, I loved Ellen and her specials. And I've always really loved, Love. you know, like TV comedies, like friends and, Everybody Loves Raymond and 30 Rock and Parks and Rec and all those sorts of shows. Um, but like around like, I guess like 24, 25, I just started listening, podcasts were becoming more popular and I just loved listening to comedians talk about their lives. Like not even comedy, just talking. Like I just loved like right. Janine Garofalo. I was like, search all Janine Garofalo podcast episodes, download, play. And I just listened to her talk yeah. and I loved it. And then when I was just getting like frustrated enough with acting and, and the process and auditions and feeling like it was a dead end or like it wasn't going to take off. I just thought, okay, well, what do I really want to do? And I thought I really would like to do hair and I'd really like to do stand up. So let's try stand up because it's free. I can just try it. Yeah. And then when it's bad, I'll just, I'll move back home and I'll go learn how to do hair and then I'll do that. Yeah. But um, sort of going to Mike's and then, yeah, and that was that. 
But that was you like know, maybe so four years into living to LA. So not that long ago. But what's so funny, I think with, I don't know why it's funny. I say funny all the time. And then sometimes it's like, it totally does not read. And then I'm like, okay, I look like an asshole. But I think it's <laughs> fascinating um, because while I don't do stand up, I feel more connected to stand up comedians personality wise than I would actresses my age or. I guess if that makes sense, because there's quite a darkness to stand-up comedians. Um, And not always that's, I guess that's a generalization that's not fair for me to make, but I think that there is, there's something about stand-up comedy and about those kinds of comedians specifically where they're, they're, it's not even just about the bullying and all this stuff. There is some sort of mental fucked upness that they have learned to train and mold and throw away and make it funny. And I, I, I can compare my stories to other actress girlfriends of mine and like shitty auditions and like the way you feel and all this stuff. But when I hear a stand-up comic talk or do an interview like you were saying on a podcast or going on Howard Stern or just going to a comedy club, there's like such a connection that I'm like, maybe it was a past life of mine because I have no desire to do it right now. I'm like very fearful of it, but there's some connection that I feel closer to that than acting and that's an actors, which is bizarre because I don't know anything about the stand-up world, but I think that there is some sort of darkness. So to hear you being so into the stand-up comedy is so funny to me because you are such a happy-go-lucky person. And obviously that's not everyone all the time, but you are a bright light and usually, and extroverted because a lot of stand-up comedians, when you go up and talk to them afterwards, they have nothing to say to you because they're like drained. Like they let out their, their, you know, feelings on stage and then they go back in and they crawl back in their shell. And then they're like, Ugh, fuck the world. <laughs> and I, yeah. I kind of get it, you know? I get it. Yeah. But that's what's it. Do you ever feel that way? Like where you don't fit into the, the norm of that, you know, the darkness kind of around it? Um, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I, like when I first started, when I first started, I was such a nervous wreck around the socializing with other comedians where I was nervous to go on stage, but my nerves to go on stage at these open mics was nowhere near the nerves of walking up to like six straight men standing in a circle and then, you know, sort of entering that circle. Right. Just talking. That made me so uncomfortable. And I, I remember at that time, like realizing that like, I thought that I had, grown past my internalized homophobia. Um, Mm -hmm. But I realized that I had just surrounded myself with with mostly women and gay guys. And the straight guys were friends of my girlfriends. You created a safe space. Yeah, you created a safe space. So to start doing stand-up, I was stepping out of that safe space. And which is not even to say that like, I was meeting all these homophobes. Um, but no, I just was, no, 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 but it's different. Yeah. And I, I just, I, like, not since truly high school was I walking into rooms like that. And I was at an 11 every day of, like, anxiety. And at a certain point, I realized, like, I need to, I need to go talk to someone. I, I can't do this. Um, for a number of reasons, that was just one of them. And then I started seeing a therapist. And then, like, 
together, they both really, really helped kind of help me move forward. Like people say that stand-up can wow. be like therapy and in ways it can, but also therapy is like therapy and like go to yeah. therapy. And, and I found a therapist and it was like to go, to do both was like just truly watershed to just go to a therapist, sob for an hour and then leave and go to an open mic was just like, well, it must repeat, have ignited. repeat. Yeah, it must have ignited such an incredible um, part of your artistry and tap into that part of your brain that you haven't been a part of. You know what I mean? Because it's all it's all new. It's like they say when you um, when you write with your you know say like I'm a right handed person, so they say if you write with your left hand every single day, like one page or something, it opens a brand new creative you know outlet in your brain and. I don't know if that's true. I haven't tried it yet. Have you enjoyed okay, it? I want to try it. it. Now that you said it, I want to try it. Yeah, I want to try it. Now I should try it. I talk about it all the time. I might as well try it. But they do say, you know, when you do that, it opens some neuron or something or another. I'm no yeah. scientist. That, that, you know, makes you problem solve differently and makes you think differently. And, and um, anyways, so it's almost like you were healing something and then reopening that bubble in a very like positive way. And it gave some other juices that you didn't have before for your standup. Mm -hmm. But I can imagine, I mean, I, first of all, I can't imagine being on a stage in front of a bunch of strangers because I'm such an extrovert, what people would think. And once I get on a stage, I'm comfortable, but just like an audition now recently, like right before I go in, I want to puke. Like right before in. Auditions I, are from hell. Okay. I used to really love auditioning. I had no problem with it. I could go into network tests and I was like, hey guys, like bada boom, bada bang, like the whole thing. <laughs> and then like I came to a realization that I was like, oh my God, like this is a terrible performance and like I'm fucked and like all this stuff. And so I've created like mini anxiety panic attacks um, before I go in. And I was laughing on my last episode or two episodes ago with my friend Jordan. She's an actress. And I said to her, I go, I know this is really weird, but do you ever go to an audition and you sign in and then you're like, yeah, they haven't called me yet. I think I'm going to go and like cross out your name and like want to leave. And I said, I've never done it before, but I feel that every time I go on an audition, she's like, every time. I'm like, okay, it's not just me, but it's like <laughs> this like built up panic yeah. that I feel. Oh, and yeah. like So many times so before I can't set, imagine I will what think, it would be like. Why on, am I doing yeah. this? Yeah. Who, what's about to happen? I'm like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, so I can only imagine that and then adding to, like, like you said, being around the straight guys. Is it like kind of, do you feel like it's not as friendly in the LGBTQ community still? Like, is there still some sort of um, like boys club like there is in other worlds and things that we live in. I mean, obviously that's everywhere, but I mean, and I don't know the yeah. comedy world at all. It's definitely there, but, but I would say the vast majority of the stand-up community is wonderful, is like diverse, is like open. And that was a great thing for me to learn because something that actually before, like I was just like in a YouTube hole clicking around and I watched an interview with Nicole Richie this was years ago and she was like on some talk show saying how they were just kind of praising her for being so cool and funny and great and all the things that she is and she was like 
So I think that's like really important to me that I learned like when I was young that I always wanted to emulate was like the, the, this idea that like I can be myself around different kinds of people. And it doesn't matter who I'm around, I can always be myself. And I thought, oh my God, like that is it. That is so it. That's like what I would love. That's what I aspire to, to do and to be. And being in comedy, you meet every kind of person. And it, it all really, over really, too. All, uh, all over the country, all over the world, all types of people, all ages, all everything. And it's really a great opportunity for you to to get in touch with who you are and to have plenty of opportunity to express yourself in front of different people and realize that more often than not, people are going to receive you well and no one's right. gonna beat you up or make fun of you or reject you. Uh, and the more yourself you are, the more they will embrace you. And so for me, like being around all these straight guys, it was like this opportunity to, to like, okay, like I'm gonna like, you know, because it was, it was exactly, it was internalized homophobia. Like nobody was calling right. me a homo. I was. No, 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 no. But it was, and it also was like a trigger, like PTSD thing from when yeah. you were a kid probably. And even if no one, you know, used, you know, terrible words to you or anything like that or abused or whatever it may be, you always felt that insecurity. I always, I always, Obviously, mine's very different, but I always felt like a sort of insecurity that when I meet strangers, even now, I'm either over the top funny and people are like, oh my God, she's so funny. Or I'm just like so uncomfortable and just like so nervous. And I feel the same way that you do, you know, that moment of when you were meeting the guys and, and creating this like, oh my God, you know, the, the, home, the internal homophobia. For me, mm -hmm. that's what it's like when I meet um Sturgis's friends because they're all like, you know, 10 years older than me. And, you know, like, I know that seems so stupid, but when I first met a lot of them, okay, I won't say how many, but a lot of them, they treated me like I was just this like dumb young actress and like, I didn't go to college and I didn't get my PhD and like all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, but I'm fucking really funny. Like you're a square, <laughs> like you suck. Like, I'm sorry I got a guy and you wish you had him, you know? Um, but I like got so insecure and I created this whole thing. And I used to, and I say this all the time, like whenever I'm in an uncomfortable situation, I'm like, there must be something in my nose. There must be something on my butt right now. Like I create this like physical thing where I, I'm like this internal and then I turn it into physical and it must be real. But it's the same sort of idea of concept without being as extreme as something that you may have gone through. I'm not like trying to like compare apples to oranges and stuff like this, but, but it's that feeling of not being yourself. And the second that I started being myself and being true to who I was with his group of people, they were like, oh my God, she's really fun. Like she's funny. She brings out a different side to you. And the people that didn't react well to the way that I, I am, you know, people around would be like, oh, those people kind of suck. Like, you can't just accept her for who she is. Like, she's pretty great, you know? Um, and so I, I really, I love that Nicole said that. I really, that really hits me hard because I've just recently, being 33 years old, been like, I'm going to be who I am. And if you don't like it, I really don't care anymore. 
And I've always tried to be that person, but I haven't, you know? So for her to, to say that it, it's kind of like, okay, here's your sign. Like, keep it going, you know, keep it yeah. up. And it was so great. Like, cause I, I forgot about it. Cause it, it was truly like one of those like 2 AM YouTube click, 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 click moments. Right. It wasn't until we were almost done shooting that I remembered it. And I was like, Oh, I want to tell her. And then I got to tell her and it was just like, it was just great. You know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and you know, so stand up was a big part of me sort of like facing these fears and, and also therapy. Um, but yeah, like I definitely. So you're that someone that a, swears by therapy because look at what, like how a fabulous result this has been, you know? Oh yeah. Like it's such a, it's like a necessity. Are people shamed to talk about therapy in the stand-up world? I think a little bit, at least on stage, because it's um, it's like a, it's, it comes from a place of of like privilege if you're seeing a therapist. So to be on stage, it's like there is this idea that it's not 100% of the time, but a lot of the time, what you want to present is something very relatable something very salt of the earth. You want to be like punching up. And to talk about being in therapy is a little bit of a I'm rich vibe, which right. is not true because you can see counselors, they're sliding scale. There's all yeah, these things. But generally the conversation around therapy, it becomes a little bit harder to talk about that on stage because it's, it's just less sympathetic. And it's not really funny, I guess, to some people. Yeah. I, you know I've definitely comedian, had funny moments, but right. I don't do think you know I don't talk too much. Gary, yeah, Gary Goldman. Do you yeah. know Gary Goldman? Have you Not seen his stand-up but... special? I haven't, but I'm aware of it. It's really interesting. I met him at a um, a mental health uh, conference. It was. Anyway, it's weird, but it was like they had like, not influencers, but people that are very involved in the mental health world. And he came on because HBO was sponsoring the thing and he had just done the HBO special. And it's fascinating because he had a nervous breakdown on stage and it was filmed. And then he had to check himself in and like, redo his entire world with his mental health. It was like suicidal, like all this stuff. And so this documentary follows him throughout these years. Um, and it shows him going back into stand-up and he turns his whole stand-up routine into the, the comedy of how fucked his brain was and how like he needed it's called the great depression. I mm. cannot recommend it enough. I think it's really interesting, but you know, and he, he did a whole talk and he was like, you know, mental health was not talked about. It was like shamed. Um, and that's why I never did it. And inside I was like internally like killing myself inside and dying the slow death on stage. And I fi it finally showed, you know, um, and how he lost everything and had to start back up again. So I find, like something like that's so relatable, right? I'm not a stand-up comedian, mm. but I, I watch his his story and I, I see the nervous breakdown, the the crash, and then the slow, like, you know, pulling your way to the top again. Um, and it's never like a final, like, oh, I did it. It's like a daily process, you know? It's a daily yeah. struggle and it's a daily fight. Um and so that's why I think it's so brave that, you know, you go to therapy and, and look at all the magical things that's happened from it. And in terms of comedians, uh, Maria Bamford also speaks 
about her being bipolar in a way that is. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah. She's incredible. She's like one of the best. Um, you would love her. You should watch a lot of her comedy. Okay. And then also yeah. Aparna Nansherla talks about anxiety in a way that's so funny. And it's becoming like, um, I think talking about mental illness is becoming, it's because it's, people want to talk about it so much that it's like fine, people are finding space for it in standup. And it's great to see. Oh, well, I'm so excited. I mean, that makes me so happy because it's even more of a reason why I can like relate to all the the kookiness of the stand-up world. <laughs> you would love Maria Bamford so much. Oh, I can't wait to watch you tonight. To. I'm going to yeah. watch tonight. Um, okay, best. so I'm going to ask you our final question. Okay. And I know I've asked you this before. So um, do what you will. You may not even remember. Um, but Jared, what makes you get up in the morning and continue on with your life? Yeah, you remember coffee. this one. I just remember. Yeah, coffee. Like, Shit, I thought she was going to forget this question. <laughs> no, coffee. Coffee, coffee, <laughs> coffee, 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 coffee. I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, it's simple. It's perfect. It's to the point. It wakes you up. Are you more of an, you're more of an going. iced tea person, right? Yeah. Ugh. And usually I don't bean. have a plastic straw. So I just want to like clarify. I have a plastic straw today that has been in my drawer for a really long time because all my other stainless steel straws were available, but I just had my teeth bonded in a cavity. And they said that I'm a klutzy person and please do not put any stainless Metal. steel on your teeth because you will chip it. So, wow. excuse my my plastic straw today. <laughs> I'll tell you, I also have a plastic straw that I've been using for four months. The same plastic straw, right? So you're okay because you're I doing like one. it. I like like I I like to. I have the same plastic. It's a Starbucks plastic grande cup. I make my uh -huh. own coffee at home. I put it in the fridge at yeah. night. I it's cold in the morning. I pour it into the plastic cup. I use. It's not even a Starbucks straw it's like a smoothie straw it's like pink oh I those pink thick ones. plastic straw it's kind of thick yeah and i drink my coffee out of a plastic cup and plastic straw that i have reused again every single day for the last four months because it just it's it just activates the feeling of like oh like yeah coffee, you know Ooh, like fancy pantsy yeah like now, i just got a coffee what can people do to follow everything that you're happening right like what what's happening right now because i know that you've been doing stand-ups on zoom and doing like funny shows what can people look for in the next like let's say like month is there anything that you want to talk about sure i mean i think the easiest way to keep up with me is at hey jared hey across all platforms twitter instagram tiktok you're really lucky you got that yeah, yeah. I mean, if uh, truly, if I could have Jared Goldstein, that would be the best. But yeah. if somebody could, like, if if somebody could have told us all when Instagram started, like, hey, this is gonna be around for a while. So try to get your name. <laughs> that would have been like huge, you know. Do you know how hard it was for me to fight a couple months ago just to get my name? And like, Alessandra Torresani, like, not for nothing, is not a common name. Okay. <laughs> 
and someone had it, and it's actually a real person. Was in she Italy. a supermodel? It's a real you woman. Have to be a supermodel. There's no way. She was a babe. She she looked like maybe she was in her fifties, but she was like as wow. tan and leather as can be, with white platinum hair, and like serving full like Donatella Torrestani. Donatella Torsani was like literally living, but she hadn't posted for like 10 years. And I had written Instagram. My manager, you know, finally was like, I'll write them, you know? And he's like, okay, you got it. I'm like, it was that easy. Like, yeah. So ask a higher up. I'm sure someone at Quibi can help you out. <laughs> yes. Nope. Let's get Jeffrey no Katzenberg on the horn. Jared, get on it. Jared needs his Instagram yeah. handle. <laughs> no, but I am so lucky. Honestly, I can't thank you enough again for coming back on and doing this show because you're such a bright light and you're an angel and your energy is fabulous and you're so inspiring. Whenever I'm feeling like down, I just, I look at your Instagram because it's so funny and it's just so fun. Oh. And when you do your lives and, you know, even if they fail, you're like, hold on guys. Uh, I'm trying to switch to the next comic. It's not working. So I'll do a little, I'll do a little, uh, uh, a little, a little bit for you right now. A little zinger, you know. Um, oh my god! Isn't so it sad? everyone should just follow you just for that because it's so funny. Um, so I will have to have you back on the show. Hopefully, when quarantine is done, who knows when? Right, we're almost to August. I feel like, and this shit is still here. So, um, but I'm happy to come back anytime in any capacity. You, I'm sad we couldn't do it in the studio, but now that we know you got a Yeti microphone and a ring light, I mean, hey, what hey, more? you are the dream guest. Yes, dream guest. All right, I love you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I okay, love you. bye. Bye. Emotion now support.